Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? And we are back with another episode of Audience First. Again, as always, I have a very special guest with me. She Who Hacks, a.k.a. Meryl R. Vernon. Yes. R. I use the yeah. R in the middle. What's it the is R the R. That's fine. You can you can government name me. That's okay. <laughs> yes. We have Meryl on, who is incredible, exceptional, and super awesome. Meryl, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to finally get my episode of Audience First. Very yes. exciting day for me, personally. Welcome to the show. Super happy to have you here. Meryl, tell me, who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Yeah. Hi. So my name is Meryl Vernon. I am a offensive security engineer and purple teamer. So uh, traditionally, you know, ethical hackers, we work on red teams. I'm a red teamer who grew into a function called purple teaming. And um, I do that because I came to cyber uh, almost four years ago now. And uh, I started working in risk and I figured out that ethical hacking was a thing. And like everybody else, I was like, that sounds super cool. I'm just going to try it and see if I love it. Turns out I love it and I'm good at it. And I get compensated decently for it. So I found my calling there. So that's why I do what I do. I love helping to secure the org. I don't just love helping to uh, pwn systems really, really well, uh, which is one of the reasons I did start pioneering purple teaming uh, almost three years ago now, immediately when I started. Now, if I recall correctly, you told me you shifted from a marketing role into purple teaming, right? So tell me a little bit about that transition. I did, actually. So it was um, from marketing into the pen testing, so into the red teaming. And then from the red teaming, almost immediately, I realized that was broken into the purple teaming. Um, but yeah, basically, I was working as a social media manager for a hospitality brand. Uh, I was doing pretty well there, but I was bored. And uh, I identified one day that I didn't want to be my boss or her boss or his boss. And I was like, if I don't want to be CMO of this company, then why am I here? Uh, so I needed something a little more challenging, something that let me use my creative thinking and problem solving a little bit more. And I had never done anything technical. So it was a, gig a gigantic gamble. But I was like, yeah, I'm just going to try cyber. And I don't know what that means. So I don't know if I'm going to be good at it, but I'm just going to try and see if I suck or if I hate it. And if I do, I'll try something else. But uh, either of those things happen. So I love that. That was why. I started. Yeah. That's so funny. You know, I come across so many, I think I talked about this last week with, with a guest, but I come across so many creative individuals who work in tech. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, artists, uh, uh, you know, painters, uh, graphic designers, musicians. I mean, do you think that, um, having kind of a creative background, even a business background is, is helpful working in tech? Yes, I do. Because creative thinkers are naturally more abstract thinkers. They mm -hmm. come at problems and situations from different angles um, than traditionally more linear thinkers. And not that linear thinkers are bad. Um, it's just a lot of people who gravitate towards technical careers right away tend to be more linear thinkers. Those mm -hmm. things make sense to them. They understand them early. They get in and then they start doing what they know. Um, mm -hmm. But when someone like me, who is a creative, comes in later and has an interest, like an entry, and then we see where that can really match with the skills and the and the passions that we have already. 
we become a different kind of technical professional. We, we offer a little something different, which is one of the reasons I'm such a big proponent of diversity in cyber, diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of like so many people I meet, cyber is their second career. Well, women specifically. So many women I meet, cyber is their second career. We came from legal or marketing or business or painting or teaching or something. And we are some of the most kick-ass cyber professionals that I've ever met. Mm, that's true. And you are also co-host of the Cyber Queens podcast. So we will drop a link to Cyber Queens podcast, which is huge on diversity. It is. Uh, it is actually our mission. Uh, Cyber Queens podcast is uh, aimed at getting more uh, women and LGBTQ minorities into cyber. Uh, we're aimed at the Gen Z demographic. We think pretty much anyone from the millennials and backwards who's going to join cyber already has. So we love our friends, but we also want to inspire more young women to want to join us here in these breaks. So we're just trying to tell them what careers are available to them, what the actual working environment was like, what the work is like, what skills they might need, uh, their upward mobility potential and all those things. So love it. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to suck them in. <laughs> I love the mission. Totally, totally a proponent. We will drop that link to the podcast in this episode. Now, I think this might be a nice little segue to the next question. What do you hate most about the cybersecurity industry? What do I hate most about the cybersecurity industry? Um, gosh, there's so many directions I could go with that. Um, interpersonally, there's not too much that I hate anymore. I met a lot of really quality individuals uh, and, and really great people who who tend to break down gates and bring me along, and people who were willing to sit down with me and like let me ask them really stupid questions. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, just last week in DC, I met one of the OGs from VetSec. Uh, that I was like, they just asked me to hack an API. What does that mean? And he was like, I'm not going to lie. I was worried for you. I gave you the answers and I was like, hoping you'd figure it out and like do your own <laughs> thing with it. But I was worried. I was like, I know we were all worried. Um, and, but I would have to say if there's one thing that I do hate is that I, I just hate how we rely on trends. We rely on trends. You know, we're like any other industry, a buzzword comes out. We all freak out. We're behind the curve. We mm. seek to super quickly implement the new buzzword or the new tool or the new solution. We don't do it well. We don't do it all the way. We don't even know what need it's addressing and if we have that need. And then we come out with tool overload and overspend on budget. And then we get scaled back because you misused the budget you had. And now we don't have enough resources and we're understaffed and overworked. And I, I, just, I just wish that most people realize that security... Um, departments can provide so much value, but you have to empower us to do it. Um, and I wish that we uh, we were given a little bit more credence in the org to do so and to do it our way, the way that we know how and not the way that the business thinks is the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. As an offensive security engineer, did I get that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Offensive security engineer. What's your bleeding neck challenge? Bleeding neck? What's a bleeding neck challenge? Like, like the bleeding thing neck as in like, holy crap. It's gushing. I need to plug it now. Like the the top main challenge that you have right now in in your role. In my role, okay. So really, what it is is it's that uh, nobody understands their defenses. It's that nobody is doing the very basics. Uh, nobody is really understanding their defense in depth. A lot of people are again relying on those really jazzy solutions with all their great marketing and all the things that they bring and all the things that they say yeah. they do. And I come in with one operation completely annihilate that. And I say, we need to go back to the drawing board and start over. You need to start with the basics, build a foundation, build on top of that. We need to baseline. We need to know our gaps. We need to know how the defenses are actually working and not just how we hope they're working. Um, and it, it just comes out that like, there's a lot of resistance to true value added remediation management and vulnerability management. And it's one of the things I seek to punctuate. 
Um, and uh, that that's really the number one thing. The other number one thing I get is the us versus them mentality, right? I don't want to help out the red team. I don't want to work with the red team. You know, the red team is cheating by getting a Zoom breach and local user counts. Like, it, like the red team was just here to ruin my day and tell me how, how much I suck at my job and how bad my mm -hmm. system is. Rather than seeing us as an ally, someone who's also here to help secure the org, like, Mm -hmm. We all work for the same company. If we go under because of a breach, I'm screwed out of a job too. I want to help you. So I, I have to help people see me as an ally and not as an adversary. Mm -hmm. So as an offensive security engineer, what's your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal as an offensive security engineer is to ultimately proactively test your defenses, right? You've stood up a certain number of things, certain things that pa white papers and experts say you should have, a DMZ, double firewall, web application firewall, next-gen firewall, you know, grip user policies, IAM provisioning, multi-factor authentication, all these things. And again, rather than hoping and praying that those things stand up the way they should, I seek to proactively test and confirm where your defenses actually stand by performing those exploit and post-exploit activities. So you know realistically where you stand and how well you might stand up to an adversary, which is ultimately your cyber resilience. Like you don't know your cyber resiliency until it's quantified with some offensive testing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do as, as an offensive security engineer. As a purple teamer, though, it is my goal to collaborate. It's my goal to break down silos. It's my goal to make myself a person and a coworker and an ally and someone you can come to. Like, I love it when my blue teamers come to me and say, you know, we think this vulnerability or this gap is a big problem and no one will listen to us. Can you help us? I'm like, oh, I'm happy to punctuate that in an exercise for you and bring a lot of eyes to it. Yeah, I'll get you some budget dollars on that right away. Uh, and that's a much more powerful place to be at rather than us just not talking to each other at all and just mm -hmm. thinking the only one, each other's purpose is solely to, to tear the other one down. And I was here thinking that there were, a lot of silos between the business side vendors and, you know, the tech tech side, but it's, it seems that there are a lot of silos also on the tech side, you know, as well, which yeah. that sucks. There's a lot of internal silos. It, it does suck. It's one of the reasons I, I started purple teaming right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate a new tool to test your defenses. Tell me what happened. A new tool to test defenses. Um, so I'm someone who does believe in baselining and doing gap analyses. So um, I remember a, a company I worked for was looking at implementing. Um, I don't know if I, I, I don't want to throw the vendor under the bus, but they were looking at implementing a new EDR solution. And this, this EDR vendor was like coming in really strong, great demos, great knowledgeable people on the calls. But the second I started asking hard questions, they're like, oh, uh, we don't know. I'm like, well, how do you integrate? Well, we have an API. Okay, well, that doesn't take it far enough. I'm like, I need, I need to talk to the technical person who can talk tech stack with me. Um, additionally, I don't just believe in the marketing, right? The marketing is there obviously to sell a product. I say, what are the actual holes you address? Do you have a navigator layer? Do you have a miter layer you can provide me? They go, yes, we do. These are all the TTPs our solution will address. And I'm like, oh, great. I looked at what I already had qualitatively coverage wise. I laid that on top and said, so based on what they say, they don't actually address any of the gaps we have. We already have with what we've got in-house. We already have those things pretty well addressed. We're not just relying on signatures. We're not just relying on, you know, libraries. We're, we've got multiple points of data source. We've got multiple points of telemetry. We can investigate that if we need to. I'm happy with the record timeliness and retention and completion that we have. So this solution, while it looks great and a lot of people are using it, maybe it does address theirs. It's not going to address ours. That's a bad spend for us. Um, it's not that it's a bad product. It's just, it doesn't address the needs we have. These are the actual holes. Go out and find me a vendor who addresses the holes that we have. 
Mm-hmm. And if not, then I'm not going to onboard that solution. It's just redundancy at that point. Mm-hmm. Why so that didn't, was, yeah. Why why didn't you check? I love that. Uh, pardon me for inter- interjecting there. No, go. Um, so w- why didn't you do that sooner, though, as this EDR solution? Why didn't you check them out sooner? Like what happened at that particular moment that you decided now is a good time to to check that check them out? Oh, we were only checking them out because my CISO wanted to check them out. Again, my CISO, mm. hey, a lot of people are using this. They're really hot right now. They seem to be doing a really good job. You know, uh, and then he tasked me, go in and find out if they do a good job, if, if this will provide us value. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm happy to have that demo call, sir. Absolutely. Right. So he was the one who tasked me with finding out, you know, just because I want this, does it actually serve a purpose? Um, mm. Because he trusted me with that. I'm I'm his boots on the system. I'm, I'm his uh, boots on the ground of the system, right? So... I was the one who came in and said, yes, while it seems like they do a lot, and if we were a more immature org or we didn't have these three things working already, we could rep- we could get that and get rid of these three things. We could mm-hmm. keep these three things and not have that. Uh, or if we didn't have these at all, they would definitely address the gaps that we would have as a result. But as we stand today, it's not something we need. So unless you're not getting something you need from these vendors, from these uh, tech support people, features-wise, I don't recommend moving to the new solution, or if you think there's value add in migrating, then I say we can do that, but we can get rid of these three and, and save that money in the process. It's, it's totally up to you, sir. And I leave that decision with him, but he's the one who decides if we evaluate a new solution and why, and I'm simply the one who gives him the data on which to base his decision. Mm-hmm. So that kind of takes me back to a really great insight that I got from Alan Alford about way back, I think almost a year ago when I started the podcast, he told me, well, yeah, I mean, the CISOs are evaluating solutions, but in most cases, they're not the ones you're going to have to try and convince to get this That's correct. You have to convince us and we are the ones who, like, if I want something really bad, like, well, I wanted Cobalt Strike when it came out, right? Because I was a pen tester and, um, you know, it's, it's a really great C2 tool. And I was like, I need this. I need this bad. And he's like, why? Why do you need it? And I'm like, let me tell you, I've sat on all the demos and watched all the trainings. And this is all the things I could do. And this is all the value I could get and all the results I could get. And I could give it to these people. And he was like, okay, you've sold me. Like the fact that you believe in the product, I trust mm-hmm. your judgment. When it came mm-hmm. to the CDR solution, he again went to me and my InfoSec program manager and was like, what do you think? And we were like, you know, not completely sold. Don't necessarily think we need it. Um, but that's just our opinion. And so we didn't convince him because we weren't convinced. And he doesn't yeah. have time to investigate all those things himself, right? That's what the engineers are for. So yeah. uh, it's definitely, you got to impress the people who are going to be interacting with it and working with it every day. When I, when I get solutions handed down to me, we are onboarding this now. I go, great. You have no idea what my job entails. No idea how much maintenance that is for me. I have no idea what it's going to be like to work with this vendor's like customer success team. Do they even really care? Like, I hate that for me. Let me do yeah. my own vetting. Let yeah. me do my own vetting. Well, how, how, how do you vet? So take me through kind of that journey, how you vet, vet solutions. How do you find them? Where do you go? What's the journey like? Yeah, so I go into every conversation with a tool uh, or with a vendor with an outcome already in mind, like with, with like the, the information I hope to gain uh, or with a kind of a preconceived stance because I do my research first. And then I say, I give you an opportunity to convince me otherwise, or I say, uh, this is the information I need to make my decision. Do you have that information? If they're like, ah, no, we can get it. Just we'll set up two more meetings with other people. I'm like, okay, you already seem kind of disjointed. So I'm kind of assessing several things. I'm assessing, can they get me the information I need as the engineer? Cause I'm the technical POC. Um, what does the pitch say they do? 
And can I confirm they actually do it with the technical people? Because the marketing people and the technical people often don't get on the same page. Mm-hmm. And they're like, bro, why are you promising all that? We don't do that. Man, just <laughs> just just work it out. Just convince her that we do it. And I'm asking all these questions. And I'm like, you don't really do this, do you? They're like, honestly, no. If this is what you're working with, we we can't ingest that data source. We can't get you the data you want. You're we can manipulate it, but it's not going to be what you want. And I'm like, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for being honest. If they're honest, I will at least take that value prop and tell other people, hey, they weren't right for us for this reason. But if this is what you're working with, they, they're probably pretty good for you. You should, they're honest. They're honest guys. They'll give it to you straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, you have to be able to answer my technical questions. You mm-hmm. have to be able to tell me just how much support I'm going to get onboarding this thing. Is it going to create a lot more work for me to make your solution work? Or are you going to help me make your solution work? And if something's not working, how realistic and timely am I going to get someone, someone's eyes and hands on my problem? What is your like? It's kind of like yesterday we were campaigning. Today you voted for us. Like after the campaign is over and you've secured the sale, how easy or difficult do you make my life? I I literally have bought a solution and 30 days later we have offboarded it because wow. the customer success has been crap. So yeah. I, I if I go in with like a I'm not super sure, I always give them the opportunity to impress me. But mm-hmm. uh, if they don't then it doesn't usually result in a sale. Do you also um, kind of uh, get recommendations from your network about other tools? Like where do you find tools when, you, when you're looking for something? If I do need a tool proactively, I go to my network first. I say, what have you used? Uh, I have regular meetups with other purple teamers and red teamers, and we all information share. We say, hey, we were assessing you know, adversarial emulation tools. We looked at these six, got demos from these two and picked this one. And we all go, why, why, why didn't you pick this thing? And we we share that with each other. Um, so I will go to my network first because like why reinvent the wheel if someone else already has? Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, if I am evaluating a product, part of the OSINT I do, because I am an ethical hacker, is I will ask other people who use that solution. Like, oh, you say Palo Alto uses this? Great. I know tons of people at Palo. I'm just going to happy DM them and be like, how do you like it? How's your experience been? What are your uh, takes or leads with this thing? And I'm going to see if I want that for myself. So you better make sure your people are happy. Yeah. Because they're your, like the the inside sales is the number one track for me. That's where I'll go first. I'll almost never just book a cold demo. Yeah. Absolutely not. At what point though, what what persuades you to book a demo? What persuades me to book a demo is, honestly, if, if, if I don't see anything else, I'll book a demo. There was one point where we had to get, um, we had to get a solution where we could uh, get into cell phones if they were locked. Like if, if we needed the digital forensics off of a cell phone, off a mobile device from a former employee, and we don't know the passcode and we're not going to get it from them, we need a company who can break into these phones and get the information for us. And I had no idea where to start. No one else was really using companies like this. Uh, We were special because we were in insurance, which is very legally liable. So I just had to start Googling and I had to book like eight demos and just sacrifice my time and see what they had to say. And I had to be educated by them. And from those I took, who took the time to educate me? Like one guy Mm -hmm. was like, listen, I have a pitch deck. None of that's going to matter to you. He's like, why do you need this? Why do you think you need this? What are you hoping to get? I'm like, right, educate me, help me. What should Mm -hmm. I be looking for? Like, and he's like, okay. You need to make sure they can this, 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 and this. Now we can do these three things, but we're missing this one over here. They can do two, but they don't have these two. And I like, I love that lesson. Educate me on my gaps. Uh, and that became a trusted vendor that I went to for numerous things and numerous areas. Even if they didn't have the answer, they referred me to someone I trusted with a good answer because of how they responded. 
I love that. But desperation, oh. desperation will make me book the demo every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, last, yeah, last resort, last resort. It just shows that, you know, things are shifting in the buyer journey here. So uh, yeah. this is super, super insightful for us and, and for those listening right now. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun now. Not that we didn't have fun already, but I want to get into the segment called the shit list. And I want to know. What are the cardinal rules you think security vendors, marketers, sales, what's above, below, and between are breaking these days? Wait, wait, what, what, what the, what the vendor marketers and salesers are, are, are what, what rules, what are, what are the cardinal rules in your eyes? Uh, what are they breaking? Like, do not break these rules or you'll piss me off. Yes, exactly. All for the love of God. Start imagining your DMs like actual conversations because if you could cold DM me, I just posted about this the other day. Someone was like, hey, Meryl, I'm really interested in learning more about purple teaming, which is like my passion, right? And I'm like, yay, I'm so excited to talk to you about it. They're like, right, right, right. Have you ever thought about how this could really help you, blah, blah? And I'm like, oh, no, you just use that as an in. If I would respond to cold pitch, I mean, we can't say it enough. Cold pitching is dead. It pisses yeah. us off. It makes us hate you. It makes... If someone cold pitched me and then a dozen people said they would use that company because it was the best, I still wouldn't go back because I'm salty. So <laughs> it's it's going to kill your brand. Um, but like the cardinal rules are don't tell, don't make up information. I'm an engineer and I can see right through it. I don't make up information in interviews. I don't pretend to be held accountable for information I don't know. And you shouldn't either. Don't do mm. it. If you get lucky enough to get me on a call. Second, don't cold message me to get me on a call. If mm. I need something and you work with someone I trust, Start looking at the people in my network. Go three degrees out and say, hey, I work with Kathy. Kathy works with Danny. Meryl might go to Danny if Meryl needed a recommendation and starts greasing those skids early. I don't know what to tell you. Sales is a hard world. But don't cold message me because I wouldn't just stop you on the street and be like, hey, I know nothing about you. Want to give me your business? Want to trust me with an aspect of your business? Better yet, want to just go on a date? And no, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that to somebody. Well, I mean, some people would. Some people would. Well, I would not. That's not in my cardinal rules. Uh, and the other thing is, like I said, don't just drop me like a hot rock. After, yeah. after we've gone on the date and I text you the next day and I bought your solution, if, I, if it crickets, if you ghost me, if you're focusing on the next, the next sale in the pipeline, I already know I'm worthless to you. I will cancel so fast. It'll make your head spin. Mm. So don't do it. What's, um, what's the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor? I mean, you talked about dropping you like a hot rock. I'm going to use that now. Um, but... Let's let's go into story time here. Tell me a little bit about the the worst thing that you've gone through with a vendor. The worst thing I've gone through with a vendor um, was when one of them told me I didn't know how to do my job and they knew my job better than me. <laughs> yeah. They literally sat there and I was asking them my questions. I was like, oh, so like, uh, I was like, so you as a company, I'm just curious are you stock two compliant? Like, could you pass an audit? Are you implementing the controls you claim to like help other companies implement? And they're like, listen. And I'm like, okay. So I'm asking pretty hard questions. I'm asking them, you know, going beyond an open source API or something like that. Like, do you actually ingest these data sources? Do you manipulate this data this way? Can I get this answer? If I came to you to get this answer, is that what I would get? Or, you know, and they were like, listen, listen, sweetheart. We know that like, you're trying to do your best and figure it out and stuff. They're like, but ultimately, we're never going to know how to answer these questions until we get in there to see what we're working with. Because you may not understand this, but we know how to work with multiple network layouts and multiple this and that and all these data sources. And like, you probably never worked with this solution. We've already integrated with that and da-da-da. And I'm like, 
And I just let him talk. And I was like, and my CISO was on, like, chatting me, don't say anything, don't react, say nothing whatsoever. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm the only ethical hacker working for this company. And I don't know how many cloud certifications you boast, but I have quite a few. I also write benchmarks for cloud security. So when I ask these questions, I ask it from a reasonable place of knowledge. It's not, I'm not asking it to put you on the spot. I'm not asking it to make you look stupid. I'm asking because I have genuine questions I need answers to. But it was just like the fact that they thought they knew my company's tech stack better than me and my job function better than me. And I thought they thought I was just trying to prove myself. So they're going to tear me down on this demo call. I'm like, you just turned my whole team against you in doing that, mm-hmm. by the way. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Well, what's the alternative? Well, don't do that is the alternative. But what would have been a how would this vendor how would this vendor save himself or herself, whoever was on the call? Right. If they had simply said, yeah, if they had simply said, we recognize you might have a pretty complex and unique environment. I'm not sure how to, I know that if you were just dealing with one of these things, how I would answer that. I know how we integrate very easily if that was the case. If you've got a lot of special considerations and we're really not sure then the only solution I can think of is for you to demo the product for a period of time. We'll give you an extended trial period, whatever. I will try and show you how I can best help you to make all these things talk the way you want them to talk. And if you're not getting what you need, you know, you can help me, help me help you. You and I will get on the call. You can tell me where this lives and where it needs to go and I'll do my best. But don't, but don't, don't start telling me that. I just am so inexperienced with multiple environments and you are because you're a vendor who sees multiple environments all the time that you're going to have the answer that I don't have. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, all right, let's flip it on its so, head. What's one thing a vendor has done that made you feel good? Uh, one thing a vendor did that made me feel good. Oh, one time I came out of a demo call uh, and I asked a bunch of my hard questions. They call them Meryl questions. Like, uh-oh, Meryl's coming in with the Meryl <laughs> questions. And uh, I, we had a really good talk. And I was like, yeah, thank you so much for all of that knowledge and all of that information. You know, we are evaluating several solutions. We're going to go back to the drawing board. And we will certainly follow up with your POC. And uh, I was like, let me tell you, in, in all my year and a half working in this industry, this is one of the most comprehensive demos I've ever seen. I'm wildly impressed. This was amazing. And they were like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I was just saying, like, of all the demo, the vendor demos I've had, this, they're like, no, no, no. You said you've been here for like a year and a half. Did that like, you mean at this company? I was like, no, total. I got into cyber like literally April of last year. They were like, oh, they're like, based on the questions you were asking and the com- and like the discussion we were having, we thought you'd been working here for like upwards of five to seven years. Like we thought you were, you know, just like us, one of us. Like we thought that that's how on par your level of expertise is. Like you, you're doing a really good job. And I was like, well, thank you. Thank you for that good validation. Uh, yeah, so nice. It does go a long way. You know, it makes you, it makes you walk away. People will never rem- won't remember what you said or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And I walked away feeling like pretty jazzy. So it was nice. It was just so random, but very, very nice of those gentlemen. But it was the kind of call where like the CEO hops on the call with you because he does a lot of the demos himself. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, bravo. Uh, One more question before actually one and a half, kind of. We have a couple more. Um, What are, uh, in your opinion, what do you think are some of the differences or anomalies right now in the market that, you know, vendors can take advantage of? Differences or anomalies. Um, I would say not very many people in cyber uh, try to sell based on relationships. They all try to sell based on features. Um, and, you know, like I said, engineers are inherently distrustful of those. We, we want to see it. We don't just want to hear it. Um, so it's like, you can say whatever you want to my CISO, but until I come on with your, uh, with your sales engineer, the guy who actually can answer my questions, like, this isn't going to go much farther. 
Um, so I think if a lot of them just leveraged the, the personal brands they could have and, and the company brands and built relationships and were like, hey, I'm just following your content because you work in this space. We're an adversarial emulation tool, da, da, da. We'd love to get your feedback on this. And or I see you've been posting about this a lot lately. We feel the same way. That's one of the reasons we added this. And I'm like, oh, you have that? And they're like, yeah, but like we have a friendship. So when we talk about a topic, it's not like, oh, random ass person is coming at me hard. It's, oh, my buddy that we talk about these topics on a regular basis with thinks his solution could solve one of my problems. And when you solve one of my problems, I like that. But when you're just coming at me to try and fill like a cold outreach quota, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that, that that is the anomaly in cyber selling on relationships and having relationships with us first. By the way, I will build a relationship, a genuine friendship with any recruiter and or any sales vendor, as long as you don't cold pitch me the second I accept your connection request. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is that... Um, a lot of them rely on bots and we can tell. The reason I have an emoji in my name on LinkedIn is because I can tell if you're scripting a bot, it'll pull the emoji in with it. And if you actually mm. took the time to type my name out, I have a unique name. Um, mm. You know, I can tell because the emoji is not there. So it I'm, just I'm checking that now. Yeah. Are you adding that human aspect into it? Are you even taking oh. the time to like customize your DM? Or are you just bot scripting a bunch of people and like you don't even know who it's going to land on or what they do? Or if they need your solution, you're just burning your brand's name with 100,000 people in a batch. Like, that makes me sad. And I think it would be the anomaly if people did just take the time to, hey, Meryl, just been a fan of your content. Love a lot of what you're saying. Um, you know, try and make me an advocate of yours. A champion. Like, security is all about creating security champions, right? In the org, we need security champions on the business side to further our initiatives or none of the users would pay attention to what we do. And they would all click on all the fishes and nothing would work. Um, Create a champion for yourself. Like if you get one security professional who's a champion on your behalf, that is infinitely like 10 times more valuable than just like landing 10 successful sales that kind of went okay and half of them don't renew the next year kind of thing. So oh, I think yeah. that would be an anomaly. That would be an anomaly I would like to see as well. It shouldn't be the anomaly. It should be the norm. But yeah. it's not. I, I, that is uh, phenomenal. Really great advice. I couldn't agree more. Uh, we're heading towards the end of the session. I want to ask you, is there anything you would like to impart on the audience today before we sign off? Uh, given the audience that you have, they're not usually hackers like we're used to speaking to. Um, well, I, would say know, I, will, I will interject and say that we do have some hackers. We do have some CISOs. We have information security architects. We have everything from the vendor side all the way to the actual practitioners. So all the way over. Okay. All the way over. Uh, I would say that it is the part of everybody to break down the silos. It is the part of everybody to start having conversations and collaborating. It's one of the, the, the main functions that Purple does is just bring people together and start having discussions. How can we start thinking about security as a full working cycle and not just our little piece of the cog in the machine? If you're in security sales, if you're in security uh, technician, if you're, if you're any, playing any part, BCP, um, incident response, DFIR, detection engineering, CTI folks, offensive folks, risk folks, internal audit folks, your sales folks, like we all need to realize that we play a part in the same cycle and we could all work together a lot more effectively than if we work against each other. Um, so it is my hope and my sincere prayer for the future of cyber that we all just start treating each other like people and coworkers and people who have the same goal to secure the thing. We're selling a you a solution to help secure, not to bring in dollars. We are trying to run this test to help secure, not to make you feel bad. We are implementing these measures to make us more secure, not to make your life harder. Like all of us have a gripe. And if we can all just understand where each other are coming from and break those silos and get out of our own mindsets and start collaborating and having casual chats and getting to know each other as people, we will all be a lot better off.
I love it. That's beautifully said. <laughs> beautifully said. We we don't have enough time to go into how that should be done. I'm happy to get you on again to talk about that. We can have okay. a long conversation on that because I do think that is critical in this industry, really in the tech industry itself. But uh, Meryl, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. By the way, that's called white teaming. Uh, white so a lot teaming. of people... A lot of people think purple teaming is like the only collaborative security function that there is, and it's not true. Um, a lot of my builders and devs who come to me and want a purple, I say, maybe you don't want a purple. Maybe you want to work with red teamers uh, and orange. Maybe you want to work with red teamers and green. There's this whole security color wheel. But honestly, when all this, when all those things are working together pretty seamlessly and everyone's collaborating and talking and understands their part and who their internal customers are and we information share, one big, you know, all the colors combined, one big, beautiful security utopia, that's a white team. There you go. Even though I love purple, it's my favorite color. So I may be honorary purple teamer. Uh, okay. So white teaming. <laughs> white teaming. Yay, white teaming. Okay. Well, you are always welcome to the show again. Thank you. And Thank you for having me and letting me pontificate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thanks again. This has been another episode of Audience First. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.